Husky Nation, it's the end of the third quarter. Are you looking for the perfect tequila for your next get-together? The answer is born from a hero, Hero de Leon, direct from the prestigious Murguia family just outside Guadalajara, honoring their great-grandfather who saved Mexico from a horrible civil war. It's authentic, courageous, with great integrity, just like the general. Enjoy the smoothest Blanco tequila you've ever tasted or the rich flavor of our Reposado, aged for seven months in American bourbon barrels. Or the ultimate tequila, our Añejo, which is aged for 18 months in the same bourbon oak barrels. Go to your favorite liquor retailer or restaurant and ask for Hero de Leon because it's always the end of the third quarter. Imported by Zombie Beverages, Mercer Island, Washington. Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast. My name is Trevor Mueller. With me is UW Leah and Coach V. And I still can't believe that Washington is going to the national championship. We're here to do our deep dive into the Sugar Bowl win. Washington wins 37-31 over the Texas Longhorns. Washington dominates most of the game, but it comes down to the final play. Uh, and as somebody on another podcast, the podcast of champions said, it was the greatest PBU in the history of Washington football. And I tend to agree with them on that. Um, we're here and Washington gets to play a 15th game. We get to watch Michael Penix and Roma Dunze and this offensive line and Braylon Trice and all of those guys that are going to move on to the NFL after this game. One last time we get one more day of fun with these guys. And I'm just so excited about it. Leah, you weren't on the instant reaction show. Give me your overall take on just how you're feeling right now. I feel like I'm lucky to be alive. I wasn't sure that I was going to make it through that game. It was something that I really thought I was going to, I really thought I was going to throw up because I think, I think it was the softy show where they talked a little bit about um, yesterday. So Tuesday, um, right around, I was picking up Ellie from the pickup line. We're talking about if Washington had not had, if Elijah Jackson doesn't make that pass breakup, if in another alternate universe, Texas makes that call, that is a more heartbreaking loss than the Seahawks like in terms of just the mo- the utter devastation. And I'm Without just like, I'm just so glad that, that is not our reality. And he's right. But, you know, they're, they're cardiac canines, as Tony Castrocon calls them. Um, a lot of different names that we have for these guys, but you just, you have to just keep believing and know that basically it just seems like this is a destiny. Like we have, like, Every time we think that there's a chance that something might not work in our favor, so, something happens, magic happens, swats happen. I, I don't know. It just, it's, it defies logic at this point, but ultimately Washington could slash should have beaten Texas by three scores. Yeah. And the fact that they didn't is hopefully something that we finally clean up, but who, who knows? I don't think maybe it's in our destiny this year to have a comfortable win after September but hopefully finally get one on Monday, but I'm not counting on it. So it would be nice. Um, Before we get into the game, I was, I've been thinking a lot about the injury on third down to, um, to Dylan Johnson and Mm -hmm. the weirdness of that rule. And coach, I need you to poke holes in my rule change thought. Mm -hmm. You obviously have to stop the clock when the player is down. I'm okay with the 10 second runoff uh, if the other team accepts it, but tell me that an easy fix would be the play clock goes to 25 after play is resumed 
and the time has started on the official's whistle. Why why is it that it doesn't start uh, start until the snap? I think it was one of those rules that was never really considered, and it's just one of those standard things when a player gets injured, they they stop the clock and they don't worry about winding again until the ball is snapped. Because in in normal game flow, that's what they do, and they don't really think about it. I don't think anybody considered that another team is trying to run out the clock and one of those guys gets hurt. Yeah. I think it's just something that's never been thought of very deeply, but I think it should be definitely brought up with the rules committees uh, this Mm -hmm. year because, I mean, what are we talking about? You're basically saying if one of your players gets hurt and why would your player fake an injury, Morgan? (laughs) Should we call it the duck roll? Then there should probably... There should probably be, um, this sounds weird, maybe maybe it's insensitive, but if one of your guys goes down and he tries to get up, he's like, can't do it, two linemen should pick that dude up and run him to the sideline as fast as possible, get back on the field, and let that clock wind. I don't know if they'd stop it anyway if somebody would say, no, 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 we got to stop the clock, you know, the rest will step in. But that's basically what you're saying to the offense who's who's got the game in hand and I mean, they should have kicked that ball over and had, you know, Texas had about 10, 12 seconds left. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's just, why does that benefit the the defense? Why don't you just go in low and try to twist the guy's ankle and, and try to injure him so you can stop off the clock? I mean, what's this, what's to prevent somebody from doing that? Well, we saw that on yeah. the opposite side with Oregon. We've already mentioned, all of us have mentioned it, where uh, they've done it twice in two years now. And uh, if they're willing to do that, there's whether it's them or another team, um, you don't think that they saw that Texas was able to get over 40 seconds of extra clock time because of that. That I think that's such a really de- dangerous precedence that I think right. has to get taken care of immediately. And maybe it's that if this happens and the team that's like trying to run out the clock, maybe you don't get the full extent of the clock run out, but it's like, yeah, I was thinking 25 seconds, right? Instead yeah, of Yeah, because like 25 seconds, like that means that Texas would have had 25 seconds because they 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 rolled it back to 50. Texas yeah. now has 25 seconds to, I mean, if you t- if you take away the Jaden Green penalty, they have 25 seconds from the 15 yeah. to score a touchdown. The likelihood of that happening is almost zero. And it changes so dramatically now that you put 50 seconds back on the clock. So well, yeah, you put I mean, it like, back to what you're gonna... talking about, Leah. It's mm-hmm. the Alamo Bowl from last year. But yeah, it's exactly it's crazy. Works. So I mean, like, it's something that deserves a, a thinking about. Um, I I think that if, if you put if everybody puts themselves in the situation Washington was put in, we can all agree that that's that seems like a pretty fair rule. Yeah. To like change. To add insult to injury, no pun intended. <laughs> they put three three seconds back on the clock. Yeah. After they started again. And then we had to punt and um, that last play as thrilling as it was probably should have never happened. Mm-hmm. 100%. This is a nickel blitz that um, got the clock. Yeah, should have been the end. Should have been the end of the game. Yeah. But I instead mean, we get a picture that is going to rival the NFC championship game for the rest of Washington, the history of Washington football. 100%. And like Elijah totally deserved that moment. And at the same time, I am quite sure that he would have been completely satisfied to sit up here and say, I'll have, I'll have my chance the next game to make a great play. I'd rather not to have to make that play because I'd rather us, you know, I'd rather us like take three knees and be able to go get a complete victory formation, obviously, yeah. but I'd rather Texas be scrambling from 
the you know their own side of the field yeah in the end and that that is what it should, that's how it should have ended if things were just but at the same time it didn't matter because the the team that was destined to win won and texas got all of the advantages with the clock and the you know i know that they deserve to have one more second put on back on the clock i listened to the you know the, the radio and all that it was the right call but it was just like how many more chances are we going to give texas to try and win it yeah. was ridiculous and in the yeah. end the best team won and mm-hmm. we're sitting here making preparations to watch a game on Monday um, and Texas is not. It was really funny at one point when Washington had the game in hand, Washington was again driving if, uh, and we'll get, man, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but they, they were talking about Sark and he looked utterly dejected on the sidelines. And they, and that's when they decided to talk about the narrative that this is the healthy and happiest he's ever been. And he, he looked exhausted and depleted at that moment. I was like, man, we probably should have talked about that earlier in the game before Washington has this in hand. And and you can tell that the, mm-hmm. the likelihood of a loss is starting to creep in on Sark's face. Yeah. I thought that was funny too. Like it, he, he looked peaked at that point. Like he looked <laughs> like he was going to heave and frankly, so was I. So, I mean, same, same, but yeah, it was a we a weird narrative. I think that the whole the whole broadcast of both of the bowl games had were full of weird narratives, particularly with regard to Harbaugh and Sark. Mm-hmm. So I just like I think ultimately what I came back to is the reason that they don't, don't talk a whole lot about Kalen DeBoer is frankly, he's boring. All he does is win. He just wins. He's a clean cut, he's a clean cut guy and he runs a clean program. He's got a really great culture full of love and brotherhood. And the worst thing going for him for him is that he's from like this podunk town in South Dakota. That's his comeback story versus Harbaugh, who, gosh, you know, he's really just had this great comeback story because what, you know, what a downtrodden program that is. And Sark, who, you know, like rightfully so, has recovered from alcoholism and failed up to get another blue blood job. So these are really great human interest stories. And it doesn't really bring too much to have a human interest story about good old Kalen DeBoer. So, and I don't think he much cares. All he does is win. Yeah. It seems like he really cares about the guys in the building. And that's what I, I wonder about the narratives about this is when they're going to start to see how genuine this guy is. And I think it's going to be frankly, when he starts making the national rounds, you saw the connection that he started to make with Scott Van Pelt in that uh, interview. I thought he was really candid in that. And you could tell that Van Pelt enjoyed it and it wasn't coach speak. Because there's so many stories where anybody who has interacted with Kalen DeBoer has talked about how genuine of a person he is. But you're right, mm-hmm. it isn't, you know, it isn't Steve Sarkeesian melting down. It's not uh, the weirdness of Jim Harbaugh and, and and the scandal that comes along with him. Go ahead, Coach. Yeah, and even from the preseason, guys like Adam Brenneman, who is making a name for himself right now, um, former Penn State tight end, when he came and visited uh, the program in the preseason and was just blown away and everybody's like, ah, whatever, you know, let's go talk about Deion Sanders some more. And he's been ever since uh, college game day when uh, Pat McAfee got to see everything up close and he's been on his show pretty regularly, just whenever he's got time. And he was talking about it on TV the other day, how whenever we've asked, he's moved things around. He's accommodated us. You know, he just thought just nothing but praise for Galen DeBoer people are starting to kind of figure it out and it's just 
I mean, they're going to see it on in full display on Monday. And I cannot believe, you know, I've said it about a million times in the last few days, but we're going to be playing for the national championship on Monday. That Just is- hearing you say that is like when Trev <laughs> said that to open the show, like I get choked up listening to those words because I'm just like, we've waited so long for this since like, you know, coach you and me as, as kids and Trevor, probably the first time in your memory that this has happened and just the narratives that it smashes. And and the thing that I keep coming back to is um, I, you know, I try to go to one home game in Seattle. I try to fly up for at least one every year. I try to do, if it's down here, you know, one of the Arizona games, and I try to go to places I've never been, you know. Uh, a couple of years ago, during our four and eight season, before we realized how bad this program was, I bought two tickets in the preseason, one to the Oregon game and one to the Michigan game, because I, I just wanted to go to Ann Arbor and wanted to see all this. After the Montana game, we all kind of went, oh, crap, like, this is bad. Went to Michigan, had a great time, but we stopped. We, we absolutely sucked that day. I flew up for the Oregon game. I didn't want to do it. I was miserable thinking about what was going to happen. Got up there. It was the worst weather I've ever experienced during a football game. And leaving that place, I was like, I'm not coming back until Jimmy's gone. I'm not flying up here again until Jimmy's gone because I can't put up with this. This is a bad product. Fast forward to now. What the hell is happening? This does not make sense. That there's a comedian, Pete Holmes, his whole shtick. That, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I'm done. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to piggyback on that Oregon game in um, 2021, Coach, that that was the game that Jimmy Lake used the term academic, academically prowess, yeah. which isn't even academically correct, and then went on that game to slap a kid in the face resulting in his firing that was against Oregon so indirectly Oregon caused us to fire Jimmy Lake and hire Kalen DeBoer and within two years go to a national championship and the irony of that is delicious I I just it's it's just so great and I you never would have thought after that that was a really terrible weekend of just like embarrassing the Huskies just with saying those things about Oregon, which didn't need to be said. We all know it's true, but you don't need to say it. Um, and getting himself fired and then having to be coached by Bob Gregory the rest of he the year. He also slapped us in the face by punting down a score in the fourth quarter. Yeah. He was slapping yeah. everybody. I I was so angry at that point. Mm-hmm. I've never left the game early in my life. I started heading for the concourse. Me too. I was like, he's going to punt? Really? I'm out. Let's go. Yep. Yeah, it was it was embarrassing. And I've never felt embarrassed by more than like one play or, or so, like in a game, like truly embarrassed ever like that in a Kalen DeVore coach team. We make some boneheaded plays, but not like that. I even go back to Sarkeesian and the elation Mm. when they beat Stanford Mm. and then losing to Arizona state in an uncompetitive game, all of the games where even under Peterson going into these big games, hoping to win. And now you see these guys uh, not only win every single game, have the longest winning streak in 
the country, win like a million games by a score, and then come in super confident in their media in their media appearances, talking about how tough they are, the aura of not cocky but confident that they have, and they go out and they're not mm-hmm. afraid and they play from the beginning starting by I thought they were going to take the ball and they didn't. They went out and got a score and go down and score in four plays with a huge play to JP for 77 yards that made, I think, the entire state of Washington exhale. Yeah, one of the things that they talked about on the Duck and Dog podcast, which I really appreciated, was the fact that no team in America uses receipts of people of things that people say about them better than Washington. They were all over the field talking about big boy football and basketball on grass and Troy Fautano saying to Kim Grinnell's like, just watch the film. <laughs> you don't look like an idiot. Like just yeah. so calmly and then walking off the field, such class and poise. And that is indicative of a culture of just like, we know how good we are. We don't have to smack talk the other team. We're just going to go out and prove it on the football field and make you guys look like complete idiots on the East coast for not believing in us. And they're going to do it again this week because here we are again, Four and a half point dogs, and that does nothing but motivate this team. Yeah, I don't know why people keep giving us ammo. <laughs> I, whatever, I'm I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. I, I truly am. When I see the 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 line come out every week, I'm like, perfect. Yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't want people to pick us. I don't want people to be confident in us. Everybody thought we were going to lose to Oregon the second time by double digits, and I was mm-hmm. like, what are you guys talking about? And um, yeah, like Josh Pate this week. Oh man. Did a show and he was wearing a red clown nose talking about how he'd been 0-7 picking against Michigan and and Washington this year. And I was just like, please, please, Josh, don't pick us. Did you hear what he said at the end of his little (laughs) monologue about that? Yes. He was like, I'm going to pick one of you. I'm going to pick one of you. Beware. He's got a sense of humor about it. I know everybody hates him because of the, you know, the the model and why and he's, he's an Oregon, you know, whatever fanboy, supposed, but I, I love the fact that he's got a sense of humor about it. And if you take this stuff too seriously, then you know yep. you're putting yourself a disservice. But just keep picking against us, please. Yeah, speaking of people with a good sense of humor, uh, shout out Rumadunze for absolutely clowning all of the national media who just cannot seem to pronounce his name correctly it's not that difficult it's Romeo one of the Dunzo. Romeo Dunzo and my comment to him was like somehow all these white dudes on ESPN can perfectly say Boletnikov but they can't say Rome <laughs> I mean does that how how sure are we that they don't even watch us if they're so they're amazed by Michael Penix's performance against Texas well he's been doing this all year I well, can't that, say Redunze. like I mean come on that's I don't even know like uh uh Joel Klatt was like, it's clear that this was the first time many of you watched and you should be ashamed of yourself. Go ahead, coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first time I saw uh, Rome's name in a recruiting article, I knew how to pronounce his name. We've been talking about the game. Let's really dive into it. Washington uh, wins the toss. Well, I guess Texas loses the toss. That mm-hmm. uh, that theme continues throughout the game. They uh, never led in the game nor won the coin toss, so... That worked out pretty well. I was shocked that Washington didn't take the ball. Um, I thought that just like in every other situation, especially going all the way back to 2022, Washington decided to take the ball uh, and go score on Oregon. Uh, 
I really like the idea. Yeah, I see it again in the USC game. I like the idea of playing from ahead when you're playing against a good offense. But they must have seen something that I didn't because they go out, they give um, they give up 11 yards and get the ball and quickly go down and score. One thing that I want to talk about, Coach, a little bit at the start of the game, it seemed like they were really into trying to prove that they could run up the middle. Uh, what was your thought about that? Uh, and obviously it was just two plays before they hit uh, Polk, but still those were uh, two run plays up the middle. Mm-hmm. Had to establish it, had to see, you know, kind of test out what it looked like. Um, I didn't have a problem with it. I had a problem with continually beating your head up against a wall when it's third and short, fourth and mm-hmm. short, those type of deals. I feel like we settled. I feel like we had them on the ropes and we yep. just kept saying, you know, I think that, and a lot of times that's dictated by the coverage. Like you see two safeties back. Texas played a lot of two safety looks. You're thinking, okay, we've got numbers, but um, dude, that's a big boy right there. And that's a big boy right, right there. And if they, if they get any kind of win or a stalemate at the line of scrimmage, then you're running into, and honestly, Texas did a lot of stunting, not stunting, stemming and kind of like slanting is what I'm looking for. So they were basically saying, Hey, we think due to this formation, you're going to run right, you know, from center, right. And they were, they were, you know, kind of slanting into it. And those two big guys are really hard to move. And, and and the coaches talked about it afterwards. It was really hard to get movement, even with the double teams. It was basically just stacking people up. And Texas's linebackers were free to just kind of flow. I thought their linebackers did a really good job of just filling the gaps when they needed to. Yeah. Washington, of course, scores on the next play after the JP big play by JP. Texas answers with a touchdown. They trade punts. Uh, and then Washington again marches down the field, nine plays, 80 yards for the touchdown. Dylan Johnson punches it in. This is the point where you start to see maybe Washington taking its first step into not blowing, the, not ending the game, but really getting itself in a comfortable lead because then they end up getting Texas to punt. And then the muffed by, must punt by Jeremy Bernard, um, really out of character for him. I chalk it up to a young player in a big time situation. He came back in and he did his job and and was productive on the offensive side of the ball even later in the game. But man, that took a lot of air out of it. What were you? How were you feeling after that, Leah? I know the text message you you sent. I think it was full of expletives, but I was not. I was not pleased. I really felt like, like you, Trevor, and probably Coach. I felt like this was our opportunity after making Texas punt to really take control of the football game. And and we didn't, and Texas scored in short order right after that. So that was very disappointing, but I was also really impressed with the, the camera angle of Kaylin DeBoer talking to Jeremy Bernard. Yeah. Calmly giving him just basically probably encouragement, but also like, Hey, like we really need you locked in and um, you know, shake it off. You're going to go back in but you you got to shake it off. You got to have a short memory. So um, I, I was proud to see that really disappointed to see the mistake, but it's really rare to have completely mistake free football in a game like this. So I was hopeful that that was going to be our biggest mistake. And that was going to be our last one. I honestly, with the way he caught it, it looked almost like it was losing in the lights and mm. late, in the game, 
some of the Texas guys on kickoff and punt were having trouble fielding the, you know, there's a couple of muffed uh, kickoffs. Yeah. I just think the Superdome is one of those really old stadiums and the lights probably are just vicious. Um, it'll be interesting to see. It's a newer stadium in Houston, the NRG. So I'm hoping that they get in there and they get enough time to just feel the hundred punts, just to see what it looks like going into the lights. Mm -hmm. I mean, because the way he caught it, it was almost like it was his arms were too far in front of him. Yeah. yeah. Under him. He just, I think he just misjudged it. Yeah. And you know, really after the touchdown, we saw Washington really show why they are a national championship level team because they go down uh, it's fourth and one at the Texas 14 and they are turned away on downs and turn around and four plays later, Texas is punting back. Washington mm -hmm. marches down the field with that bullet of a pass to JP for, uh, for the touchdown to Good go throw. up seven yet again. This is a theme. Washington takes the lead. Texas scores to, to keep pace, but eventually we know what happens. Texas cannot keep pace in the second half. Um, that throw by Mike to JP where he popped it up to himself, just, it was like shades of Michigan state, right? Where he's just catching a, a batted ball, but this one he batted to himself. Coach, what did you see on that mm -hmm. other than just a pure laser? I saw Mike um, evade pressure very quickly, chop yeah. the steps, climb the pocket, all in one motion. Um, guys don't do that yeah. in college very often. They're, they're just very, especially with all the RPO stuff and just the quick stuff, it's very, you know, mechanical. And he saw that. He got a little bit of pressure really fast, climbed the pocket, chop, chop, throwing motion all in one. Like, it could have easily just been an incomplete pass. But he put it exactly on the tiny little triangle of space yeah. where he needed to put it. So if Jalen didn't catch it cleanly, he could still juggle it to himself. And that's the crazy thing. And right before that, Leah, it was one of the only passes that Mike was off by quite a bit on the incompletion over the head to uh, an open Devin Culp. And to come mm -hmm. back with that much belief in yourself and to just throw an absolute BB on the next play after, like he's saying, avoiding that contact in the pocket yeah. is just, I mean, it's who he is. Yeah, he doesn't get down on himself for a misthrow. I mean, that that's kind of a reach to, to ask Dev to make that play because he's not as fast as our wide receivers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously tight ends, that's their secondary job. Their primary job is other things. So, but I mean, I'm sure Dev would have loved to have that touchdown. So would Mike, but the tip drill is amazing. Like there was no chance that that, like that Texas player swiped it away a little bit and on the tip, no one was going to get up at JP. Yeah. I think that was uh, Jabbar's cousin that was on that play. It well. was. <laughs> yeah and i did he get a finger on it too did really close it was like both of them had their hands on it and that's why it popped right up man i think i honestly though when i went back and watched it a couple times it just seemed to me that jalen had him boxed out and he knew that if he just got his hands in the right spot yeah he was going to be able to control it probably thought he was going to catch it cleanly but the fact that he had just that perfect and that's the thing with Mike and I know a lot of people were talking about this recently the guys who've never watched him play um I've been listening to people all week saying he throws people open he puts it on the right side of the yep. receiver every time he just has this it's just he's a savant mm -hmm. 
I loved when they were saying that his 50-50 balls are 70-30. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't teach this. There's no quarterback academy or no quarterback coach that can you can send your kid to when he's nine years old and pay the dude thousands of dollars to make your kid be able to throw the ball with that uncanny ability to just put it on people. Beautiful. Yeah, it was, it's really delicious, and I feel really spoiled. I think all of us do, but being able to watch it, and we only, we only get to watch it for one more game, which makes me really delighted and also very sad. Yeah. And also someone in the NFL is going to get a steal because he's, he's not going to go as high as he should. And they're going to, they're going to get a real steal in Mike. Yeah. And we'll even see about that because there's been a lot of conversation uh, with draft people, namely Joe Klatt, that um, he shouldn't be getting out of the top 10. Uh, and that sure would be awesome. And Brock was on with uh, Colin Coward and was talking about how his spin rate, the, the way that he throws a football, uh, is 1% elite uh, among quarterbacks, NFL or regardless. And he's going to a league where they have the best football as well. Um, he was talking about the Wilson balls where uh, he thought easier to spin. So hmm. all good. Um, Texas does come down. Quinn Ewers barely gets away from another sack uh, of Braylon tries to run for a big gain. They end up scoring to tie the game, and it was annoying because they go into halftime tied at 21. It felt like Washington dominated the game. I was feeling really confident but annoyed, uh, and that's when I tweeted out the most positive person I could think of in Steve Irwin saying, no worries, mate, because, man, I just felt like this team. Do you remember your text to so the group well. at halftime, Trev? I don't. What did I say? said Huskies are rolling in the second half. Oh, Some let's go. And I was almost all the way right. You were. Yeah. And I, I feel like I, I Jason's trying to get me to not watch the game at all on Monday this week. Because what <laughs> happened is that me and my daughter were at his house. And during halftime, it was like, you know what? I, I can't I can't justify keeping her here much later than this because she has school tomorrow. So we left at halftime. And then by the time I got home, uh, things had already happened in the third quarter. So by the end of the third quarter, things were looking real good. And I was telling, I was texting Trevor. I'm like, I, I feel like it might be me. I feel like <laughs> me not watching. It's making them win. And I, I would, they were tied when I left and now they're up. So yeah. um, I'll just say like, I, I am willing to take one for the team this week. If need be. You need so, to watch this. You need to watch. I do. It. I feel like team I, I'm going to hate myself if I don't get to see it. Yeah. And it's not. It. I have to exactly. So it's not um, as it's not as good watching it really uh, tape delayed. No, it's not. And um, I was less confident than you at halftime, but I also felt like if Washington is mad going into halftime that they're not ahead, that just means they're going to play their best in the second half. And boy, and did like, they! Mm -hmm. They come out. They just march down the field. Michael Penix is surgical <laughs> down the field. With the touchdown, I believe that one was to J-Mac on, uh, yep, a 19-yard touchdown to J-Mac where the window wasn't as small, but it was still an absolute bullet uh, to J-Mac. And how mm -hmm. cool was it just to see J-Mac score? Yet, I mean, he's got to be one of the most hated people in Austin. All he does is catch touchdowns on Texas. That's two in two games. <laughs> and he's given the horns down to that that dad that a couple he went uh, him and a couple of Huskies were jawing after the game, giving the horns down to everybody just 
what a great story that is for him to be so effective in this game. Another bonkers throw, not because, you know, like nobody's ever made that throw between two safeties, but Jalen kind of held his route long enough to keep that other safety at bay just 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 a little bit. Mm. But still looking at Michael Penix the entire time, he can see him when as soon as your hands, you know, separate, he's got a chance to read that and say, okay, let's go. And he was so worried about staying over the top on the other side that he didn't trust his eyes, but he definitely 100%, I know this for a fact, he did not expect to see that ball get there as quickly as it did. Yeah. Because as solid as a player as Quinn Ewers was, Quinn Ewers wasn't going to make that throw. He's never seen that in practice. Maybe Malik Murphy could have made that throw. I know Arch Manning can't make that throw right now. So it's it's different if you've never seen that. You know what I mean? No, oh, yeah. Like you just don't think you can't it. you can't practice for it if you're not practicing against it. Yeah, there's there's a kid down here, Damon Williams Jr., who has been a varsity starting quarterback at Basha High School in Chandler for four years. He's kicked our butt for four years. And when he was a little freshman at 5'8 or whatever, we were playing deep coverage against him. We had a safety backing up into the end zone. Didn't think that he could uncork a ball from the other side of the 50 to the back of the end zone and beat us over the top for 60-something yards. And when the DB came back to the sideline, I know for a fact he was just in shock. I was up in the booth, and I was like, what did he say? And he's like, there's no way he could make that throw. Yeah. That, that, that dude threw the ball 60-something yards in the air and got behind him. And that's probably how those safeties are feeling. Like, they were just in shock. Like, I can't believe he puts it in the right spot every single time yeah. that fast. It's just well, not possible. They were playing against an NFLer out there. Well, it was funny, like, again, to reference the Duck and Dog podcast, they're talking, well, I think the Duck said, like, it's not that these guys, you know, Oregon, Texas, all these good teams are playing Washington. It's not that they're having terrible coverage. It's that they're playing a guy who is hitting a keyhole, as Emmanuel Acho says, and there isn't anything really that the this wide receiving core can't catch. So it's not, it's not terrible coverage. It's just like, I mean, you got to tip your cap at some points. Like these guys are just making, they're just dogs making plays. It's an NFL quarterback throwing to three NFL receivers mm -hmm. with NFL caliber tight ends and the best offensive line in the country. I mean, every single team is going to be exploited in some way because this offensive coaching staff is good enough to figure out what you're bad at. Uh, and this team is good enough to execute any game plan that they put forth. Uh, then the fumble. I mean, talk about deflating the Longhorns in the third quarter. They get one play, an eight-yard gain, and the ball pops out by our guy, Traylon Bryce. And he fall, uh, 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 who, who ends up falling? Asa, Asa was around it. I think somebody else ended up grabbing it. But Washington then goes, turns that into a field goal, and they go up two scores. And for most of the game, they were up two scores uh, just right until the end. So that just felt like such a monumental swing. And then for them to fumble on the next play, even though we didn't do much with it, we just got 15 yards. We took off a minute and a half. It just, it felt so... Uh, like the walls were crushed, uh, kind of falling in around Texas. What did you feel about the game flow at that point? Yeah, I mean, especially after that second fumble that originally got called, like he was down, but he wasn't even close to being down. Yeah, his his teammate, uh, just, his teammate forced it. 
Right. And then like when yeah. as soon as I saw it on replay, I'm like, oh, they're gonna overtime. I'm yeah. not even worried about it. But yeah, I mean, like deflating is is a great word for it, Trevor. It's just like how how do you recover from that? You have crapped all over yourself since halftime. So you can get yeah. nothing going. Washington is basically having its way. The only thing, regrettably, that I I'm thinking is like we should have turned at least one of those fumbles into a touchdown. Yes. And instead of out of two fumbles, we got three points instead of, you know, at least six to 10 and maybe 14, we got three total. That's disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. A few times during the game late in the second half there, where it was like, man, we shot ourselves in the foot. One of them was, uh, um, we got first and goal at the 10 and got super conservative and kicked a field goal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another one was we were down there. It was another one where we kicked a field goal and we had a false start. And then on the field goal, they had an offsides. If we hadn't false started, that would have given us a first down if we wanted to take it and right. take the points. And the other one was Roma Dunze running wide open down the sideline. And Michael found him late, came over there, and the guy tackled him. And it made me scream to the heavens. That should be a spot foul instead of yeah. a 15 yard penalty in college. Like, you know, in the NFL, it's a spot foul. That's and like that a net 40 yards that Washington 50, didn't get. 52 yard chunk that would have been instead of, you know, 15 yards. And yeah. So I just, this is what we do. This weird mm-hmm. cosmic energy that we have, this karma around the, the team where, yeah, we're going to win, but we're going to find some really excruciating things that go against us so we can keep the other team. And I remember I called it separation anxiety. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Separation anxiety. We, if you get too far away from us, we're going to, we're going to walk back and, and find you, grab you by the hand. You're not going to be walking in front of us. We're still going to kind of hold you back here a little bit, you know, heel, heel boy, heel. But right. um, yeah, it's just, this is, this is who we are. You know, and yeah, it really is. And um, I'm looking at Texas's final touchdown, and I feel like there was a shot to to drive the nail into the coffin. And I don't know if they would have gone for it on fourth down, but that third and four play where they uh, gave it to Blue over the right side, Cameron Cameron Flabiculan came through like a bullet and just missed him by inches. And if he makes that tackle, that's a tackle for loss. You're looking at probably a third and seven. Yeah. And I feel good on a third and seven call with the way that Washington's defense played for most of this game, or they settle for a field goal and nothing else matters. That was so close. And that's how close these games are when we have these really good teams. But man, uh, I loved the, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The aggression, man, I wish he would have made contact. Go ahead, coach. And that's strictly, that's strictly like, so the two plays, the one before that, where they tried to go to worthy on the slant in the end zone and Cameron is back there. And I, I, I rewound it as much as I could, cause I was trying to see what he was reading. He's got eyes on the quarterback. That's the only guy. Nobody crosses in front of him. Like he probably should have undercut that route. Like he probably should have jumped it and tried to make a mm. play on it. And instead they're flat footed in the end zone. And I'm like, okay, hey, bro. And then on the next play on the run fit, he comes up like a missile, but 
uh, we coach this from peewee all the way up through high school to college to pro. You've got to be attacking his outside hit. You're, mm, you're basically to the inside. Up that fast. You're contained because he's running wide. You got to make him cut back to the linebacker help. And instead he squares him up head on. The guy makes a move and now he's outside of your contain. So absolutely those two plays right there. I was like, man, we go from, you might've had a chance to break it up or maybe even take that ball. And then you absolutely have a chance to blow this up in the backfield. So, Hey, you know, I'm one of cam fabs, biggest supporters filipinos for life yes sir lumpia for everybody oh but man, yeah my boy cam um there are a couple times during the game when i was like you have a chance right now to make this play we didn't make it that's not all on him i know he's gonna come out and he's gonna watch that film this week and he's gonna be like dude i got it next time i got it i got it against michigan yeah. he's gonna get a windmill tackle against the wolverines yeah, I, want him, I want him to take blake quorum down on fourth and one Oh, yes. Just magical play. And then I'm going to get back to town and I'm going to celebrate by going to get in Filipino food in, in his honor. And I'm going to take a picture of it. I'm going to tweet it out to him and be like, next time you're in town, buddy. That is excellent. The next drive, Washington just chunks Texas all the way down. And I think, Coach, this is where you're going to start to get frustrated with some of the play calls. At no point really? in this game. Wait, is, this, was... is this the drive where we went on like that weird like triple reverse, or is that the previous drive? Because that was like <laughs> coaches already taken off his hat. That was so confusing to me. Is that the same drive, Trevor, or is that the no? Previous that drive? was earlier. That was on the punt. Okay. That's where okay. I guess you can go back to that's where it unraveled a little bit. Yeah. But this field goal drive, uh, it took four four minutes forty three seconds, uh, sixty five yards. Michael Penix was on an absolute different universe than everybody else. He was throwing. It's like, it's like the Texas defenders didn't exist. Every mm -hmm. throw was pinpoint. Perfect. The throw to Jalen Polk to Jack Westover twice Jalen McMillan on that quick screen, uh, the bubble that he took for 14 yards. I mean, he looked amazing. And then the 32 yard strike to Roma Dunze, he was amazing. You get down to the Texas 10 and it's two runs and a bootleg pass when Texas is starting to use their timeouts. I don't like the idea that they went to uh, the pitch twice to Tybo, but once they start using their timeouts and you're in a, a you're in a goal and goal and 10 to go, man, I think at that point you've, you've chosen to be conservative, force them to use their timeouts at that point. I know that's, armchair quarterbacking a little or a bit or I guess armchair offensive coordinating a little bit but it just felt like I don't know it just didn't feel like the way that this team uh had been attacking this game the entire you know previous drives coach and here's the thing if you're going to force them to use timeouts but then you're going to risk a drop back and, and an incompletion to stop the clock on one of those plays yeah I thought if you're going to go go be aggressive um, really great opportunity for them um, to kind of max protect and then why release, you know, release the tight end late. Yeah. If they, you know, um, they had so much success with, with Michael running the ball. You could have spread them out, QB draw, QB power, trying to keep that clock moving and maybe hit them, you know, with a gash play. Um, the pitch to Tybo the first time was like, okay, we got a few yards. That's cool. Right. Don't do it again. To yeah. the short side of the field. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, 
every once in a while, they just get super boring and conservative when they've mm -hmm. had success doing stuff the entire game. You could have run, you could have won Jet with Jeremy. Yeah. I mean, you could have done something to kind of loosen them up a little Was bit. Was he nicked up at that point? I don't know. He came back in the game, I thought. Oh, okay. Um, to run it with Giles I mean yeah let's be honest, we didn't really get a whole lot of opportunities um yeah I just we're second guessing after a win that got us into the national championship if, if that's mm -hmm. the worst thing that happens to us then awesome but yeah it's just another that that first and goal from the 10 they were like now we're just going to kick a field goal yeah and it's like bro put the dagger in because they're not they're not you know, some pansy team that, that didn't belong in this playoff. I mean, they're super talented, super aggressive, super physical, and they have every right to be in that playoff on that field with you. Um, you got to bury them, man. Yeah. I mean, like if we, if we go up nine or however much, like probably a two score game that late against Michigan, the game's probably over because Michigan right. is not designed to rally late, but Steve Sarkeesian, that guy has some moxie. He is incredibly creative and say what you will about him. He's a really good offensive coach. So if you give him a, a little bit of a window to make a comeback, he will walk through it. So I, I kind of feel like we, to your point, coach, we lost some aggression and um, not really sure what happened in the, you know, kind of like nine, last my nine minutes of uh, the fourth quarter, but it was, it was more stressful than it needed to be. Put one more touchdown up there and the game's over. You're 100% correct. And, you know, everybody knows what happens after that. Texas goes down, gets the field goal, just the weird stuff that we talked about. One thing that, you know, they're never going to call, and and we can get into it a little bit, but there was a push-off on Jabbar for that big game down the sidelines to give Texas a chance. Uh, they get within 12 yards, and there's a really weird play call on first down, where they threw it out. I think it was to blue for no gain. He got out of bounds, yeah. but you know, third down Mish comes off the edge and coach, you were talking about that when we gave our instant reactions that you were, you were hoping to see some of that all day and it finally happened and, and it almost got home. Oh yeah, man. That was the defensive call of the game that, that pretty much set us up there and, you know, within one second of, you know, ending that game there, but not only the push off on 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 Muhammad with Mitchell on that deep ball, which great catch. Obviously, if you can get away with that, cool. Um, and I'm sure that people in our conference will say that we get away, away with that sometimes as well. Um, the play in the flat to the running back that was juggling as he went out of bounds and they yeah. reviewed it. And they're like, we can't overturn this. It's like, dude, the ball was moving. Yep. He didn't really secure it until maybe he was out of bounds. It was just like one thing after another, but man, I love that Mish uh, blitz off oh. the corner. Beautiful. And then, I mean, I don't want to jump the gun, but no, go ahead. I had a comment on the, on the final play. Yep. DJ who's gotten, you know, he's had his fair share of Chris. When you have an all conference type guy on one side and you're the young guy who's starting for the first time on the other side, you're going to get picked on all year. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get targeted. They played it like like it was cover three where he was just going to bail and he just had his – it was cool that they did this, and, and there's a reason for that. If you get up and jam the guy, you can't see when the ball is coming out. Yeah. But he was in this, like, cover three bail where he was just backing up, backing up, eyes on the quarterback the whole time. And when Quinn Ewers releases the ball, 
He's got everything in front of him. You get this triangle responsibility. You got the quarterback, you got your body, and you have this receiver in front of you. And you also have the sideline right there. Yep. He had, you know, Ewers didn't put it on him on him. You know, he wouldn't like try to back back shoulder him. If he had thrown a laser back shoulder, I would have been terrified. Yep. He wanted the fade. EJ saw it the entire way. He played perfect. His footwork was great. His eye discipline was amazing. And he didn't like get too antsy and just go through the receiver. He got there, gathered his feet, went up and swatted the ball away. That's the best play I've ever seen him make, not just for the uh, the moment, but just technique wise, like that looked like a drill you would do in practice. That was perfect. <laughs> and then Skip Bayless going on and saying it was an obvious PI because he used the his, his shoulder to get into the airspace. Um, no, it was perfect. He jumped up. He he bats the ball and he comes down on top of the receiver. He did it perfectly. And as his eyes uh, looking a, back for the ball. Yep. He's playing the receiver. He's playing the ball, not the receiver. He has he has the right to the ball just as much as the receiver. He has the yeah. right to the ball when the ball comes up. And if he happens to like, if his hand is on his shoulder, he's not pulling the guy down. Nope. He's he's not pushing down either. He's not going up for uh, an over the back rebound. Skip Bayless is a Texas guy, so um, and he's also a giant moron that nobody yeah. respects. Well. That's the, the that's strike one and two, um, <laughs> just right at the end. I just I couldn't be happier for Elijah Jackson. I loved one of my favorite things from this is after the celebration. He's kind of running down. There's a camera following him. He gets to his quarterback, his cornerbacks coach, and Juice Brown, and he says, "Do you know what you just did?" And I just I I'm just so happy for the kid. It's what a great story because we've talked about it. I listen to every Washington podcast I can get a hold of. I listen to Softy. They they started using his name. Um, they kind of footed around it for a while, but then they they were using his name. And you talked about how he has to stay positive, and he absolutely did. And he came through. And this team's going to a freaking national championship, and we get to watch Michael Penix and all a big of those part guys. Of it is- yeah, a big part of it is that play. In the same way that we talk about the Richard Sherman SWAT, we are going to be talking about Elijah Jackson, both wearing number 25, both protecting airspace against wide receivers. And he will always, uh, just like um, uh, Taj Davis, he will always have uh, a prominent role uh, in Husky history for the rest of time. And I'm just so proud uh, of this team. They came back for this. We talked about it all year. They didn't come back to beat Arizona state. They didn't come back to beat Utah. They didn't come back to beat Washington state. They didn't come back to beat Boise state. They came back to win this. They came back to beat Oregon. Yeah. They came back to win in the, in the PAC 12 championship. And they have sacrificed because frankly of geography and geography only it cost them awards. You put Roma Dunze in Ann Arbor, you put Roma Dunze in South Florida, you put Michael Penix on a team with an SEC logo, you're talking about the Politnikoff winner, and you're talking about the the Heisman. And instead, what they said all year is all they cared about is the national championship, and now they have an opportunity to play for it. Oh, my God. And just piggybacking that really quick, and then then we'll go to you, Coach. Uh, They were asking him, Mike Penix, in the presser after the game about, like, does this prove that you're the Heisman winner? And you could not coach his response any better of just like, listen, 
that was never my goal. And I'm never going to take anything away from Jaden Daniels. He's a great player. And the committee and the Heisman, they did their job. That's fine. But you'll never hear an interview from me saying I want to win the Heisman. The only trophy I'm considered concerned about and focused on is the national championship. And that's still on the table. And I'm here for my brothers and I'm here for this program. And you could not coach a better response out of a human being than that. These kind of responses from our student athletes make me so proud of just what kind of kids we have in this program. Yeah. And back to Elijah Jackson, if he doesn't in the next couple of weeks, if he doesn't have NIL merch with a photo on a shirt of one illustration, 100% going up and swatting that ball out of bounds. Somebody's, you know, Montlake futures, uh, you know, hit me up. I got a lot of great ideas. Um, but, <laughs> This kid should be making some money off his name, image, and likeness for that that play because I'll tell you what, man, he gave so much joy and relief. Let's be honest. I mean, yep. I almost passed out. Yep. I almost passed out during that moment. Um, it's just it would be a missed opportunity if we didn't take advantage of that. And then the other thing with Mike, um, just being humble and being a team guy. Tell you what, um, as coaches, we, you know, we talk about it, and even at the high school level. Like if you have a kid who's got notoriety, he's going to get interviews and, and, and then, but you get to see the player behind the scenes, you know, and while we don't all have that opportunity, ask his teammates, his teammates are just in awe of him. You still go back to that um, Jalen, Jalen McMillan tweet on after the Oregon game, the first time where it's like, dude, we're down in this game. And this guy's freestyling on the bench talking about, gonna win like just (laughs) can't even fathom you right now like bro what are you doing um the the coaches the players you know they all love each other and it's a great unit um great camaraderie camaraderie but if you want to know what kind of person he is behind the scenes just those guys will go to war for him Mm -hmm. and when they you know we're we're done with the game and all of his receivers are saying, give this man his flowers. He's the best out there. Um, we're tired of this re- disrespect, and we want to win it not only for this program, we want to win it for Mike because that's the only trophy that he cares about, and we want to win it for each other and for him. I love um, this program with a chip on the shoulder. Yep. Absolutely. It's, but- it is so fun to be the team that nobody thinks, even now, no one thinks we have a chance. I, I think that more people than we think probably do think that we have a chance, but the national narrative is still that we're trash. We're going to get boat raced by Michigan. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And so does the team. I love to your point coach earlier that like, you know, the national media just keeps giving us bulletin board material. I think it's great. I love it. I eat it up. So two things. The first thing is the leadership of Michael Penix when he's put in that situation where the, media is you know it's it's in the press conference it's Kalen DeBoer it's him and it's Braylon Trice and they keep asking him questions about how great he is his game and all that and all he says basically is like I'm blessed um Mm -hmm. I have the best receivers in the country I have the best playmakers in the country and I have the best uh, offensive line it's actually pretty easy like (laughs) he gives it all back to uh the guys around him and that's why I just I think about the names in his jacket, his coaches and his teammates. And that's, that wasn't a publicity stunt. That's I, I a hundred percent believe that that is the real him because we've seen it for two straight years. And uh, 
I'm going to get real sappy on it. So uh, we're going to move on. The other thing that I have to say is um, about what you were talking about, Leah, about the disrespect and the fact that for the third straight week and four out of the last five games, Washington is uh, underdogs. And um, when Washington wins this game, the conversation will be, are they actually like, are they the worst national champions? Uh, Are they actually national champions because they didn't have to beat Georgia? And uh, I guess what I'll say to that is they are national champions and uh, go back and watch them continually find new ways to win. Yeah. I mean, there's what's the meme out there that says like that Washington <laughs> state said, like right after we beat them, you're the worst undefeated team in the world. Still undefeated. I, so, yeah, it's like Jack Sparrow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You could talk all you want, but cry about it because we've got to hardware. And I was just, I was just going to like give you a little anecdote today that like on our drive to school, my eight-year-old completely matter of factly asked me like, Oh, did the Huskies get a trophy after every time they win? And I said, no, not every game. And she was like, but they have a lot this year, right? And I was thinking about it. And I'm like, the last three games. Yeah, she's right. Apple Cup, conference championship game, and the Sugar Bowl. And I said, yeah, we can we can even get one more. And she was like, well, that's pretty cool, you know, in a kind of eight-year-old way. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I tweeted out today that, like, kids growing up with this mindset of, like, this is where Washington belongs. This is what Washington does. That is what I'm most grateful to the staff for because that mindset has been absent in Seattle for UW for decades. And now the kids that, you know, all around the country that are huge Duck fans because Oregon was all over the media and all over winning all of these games, they're going to be thinking about that, that about Washington, about that block W now. And that's, that's the real thing. And that takes a lot of hard work and we still have work to do in terms of like our media presence with that block W, but what we've done this year really matters. All these kids that are watching this game right now at 10, 11, 12 years, years old, this is like, this is what formulates their fandom for the rest of their lives. We've made a lot of new fans this year and that is so important. That's such a great point. And there, I wish I had bookmarked. There was a, a few tweets out there in my feed that were, um, somebody had tweeted, there was a bunch of kids that were watching the game together. They all could have been mm-hmm. more like 10, 11, 12 years old. And there's there this huddle of kids as we're mm-hmm. going crazy and hugging each other. And they're all <laughs> Mike Penix jerseys and their Husky gear. <laughs> exactly what we need, man. How many Christmas presents were Husky gear for, for Seattle area kids this year? Mm. Are you asking in my family? Because most of them. Yeah, <laughs> all over the place. Um, you know, Seattle's this weird sports town where it's very cyclical and one program or one team kind of steps up and it's the thing. And then they'll have a downturn. But um, the only reason Husky football left was because of Husky football. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. that's done, man. That is done. This is This is here to stay. Obviously, the staff and the program, we have to keep feeding it. We have to keep... You know, I, I'm I'm trying, you know, my me and my teacher salary, I'm still giving what I can to Mott Lake Futures. And Lord knows I've spent a lot of money on traveling for this team the last couple of years, you know, it's, but it, but it's like, what else am I going to do? This is this is how you if you want a program like this, you got to support it. And I'm not local. I'm not a season ticket holder. So I have to find ways to support it where I can. And. I just feel like this is the uprising, you know, this is not the, this is not the pinnacle just because, you know, if we win on Monday, right. this, this is the start. Right. 
and how how we grow our program in terms of people who grow up around here is by doing things like we are doing right now and that is feeding the fandom getting young kids excited about husky football excited about washington athletics having family members that take them to games and are willing to spend the money to create family memories on Montlake and inspiring this next generation to spend money at University of Washington, go to UW, rep that block W wherever you go. I'm just going to tell you, as like, you know, I, I am the one, only one of the three of us that lives in the greater Seattle area. And the fervor of the Seattle area right now is unlike anything I've seen in my adult life. Um, people have lawn decorations, block W's made of purple lights out on their yards. Um, I, I'm wearing my W, like I'm, I have a rare moment where I'm just wearing a sweatshirt that's a plain old sweatshirt right now. But any other day, people like, you know, walking around W, like, hey, go dogs. Like I went to my daughter's gym today to go take her on a swim lesson. And there's like, it's this giant health facility. It's got go dogs all over the place. I've never seen that before. Yeah. As long as I've lived here. It is people know how special this is and it's inspiring and everyone's jumping on board except down for here, Seattle Mariners. Down here, there's a surprisingly large Seattle presence, obviously okay. a lot of Seahawks, a lot of Huskies, Mariners fans down here. And um, I've got a, I've got a Husky themed license plate on my Jeep. I wear a lot of Huskies gear. I'm either wearing Husky gear or, the, or this for the school where I coach. That's, that's about my, the extent of my wardrobe. Um, just, I, I went out and got food the other day and somebody was, uh, walking behind my, my vehicle as I was bringing food in, you know, to take home. And this lady goes, go dogs. And I it scared the crap out of me. It's like pitch black outside. And I was like, oh, Hey, Hey, yeah. And it was, before, <laughs> it, was before the, it was before the Texas game happened. And she's like, I'm so nervous. And I'm like, yeah, me too. We got to We're going to, we're going to win another <laughs> feeling if everything's going to be just fine. We're going to be in Houston and I will be there. And she's like, that's so cool. But I'm, I'm just, it's a weird thing where you're the out of towner and you're representing your home team from thousand, a couple thousand miles away. And um, it's just different now. People yeah. are all over this. And I mean, yeah, it's just, it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. The only thing that for me matches it is when UW women's basketball went to the final four in 2016, when I had a little fun. baby. Um, yeah, it was really fun and it was very special, but it's the same vibe here. And, and what I'm also wanting to point out and just note is that so many former student athletes at the university of Washington have come in and like from Danielle Laurie yep. traveling to New Orleans and going to Houston, Kelsey Plum and some other members of her team at UW. So Vita Vea's wife was her teammate, um, so they're, they're supporting, they're down in New Orleans, they're, they're going to Houston. So it's like everyone who came to UW and was a student athlete, they all feel part of this and they are all welcomed with open arms to come back and support the football team. So um, it's so special. Like something like this is so rare and people understand it and they vibe with it and everyone just wants to, to show their support in any way that they can. It's been a blast uh, going through this year with you guys and getting to talk about these games, it's actually in this beautiful way, it's made the season feel longer because <laughs> you get to revisit and revisit and revisit and talk Trevor, through it again and again. It's been longer. It's 15 freaking games. Yeah, it is, baby. That is, longer. that is, that not, is many months. It, it's not like you're in Pullman and your last game was six weeks ago. Could you imagine? <laughs> so 
I appreciate yeah. you guys. We'll be back to talk about this team. Uh, we're going to have our preview out towards the weekend covering all things Michigan, Washington. And after that, we're just going to gush over to this team. So uh, that'll do it for us for now. Proud of you guys. Proud of this team. Proud of everybody who's representing the Block W. For Trevor Mueller, UW Leah, Coach V, go dogs. Shout out, J-Cap. Shout out, J-Cap. And you know what? Huskies play clean. Basketball and grass. Go dogs. Ha, <laughs> ha.